Here we are again. I know what you're thinking. Is this podcast every eight months? Well, after I dropped my last podcast with Dr. Joe Krista about mold in February, we had some serious technical issues with a new website, a new podcast hosting site, and getting that episode to upload to Apple and Spotify. It took a while. Um, But we're up and running, and in the meantime, We are back with Full Capacity Living Podcast to our regular episodes every two weeks. So I truly thank you for being here, whoever is listening. During the editing of this podcast, I really had a deep and intense feeling of the need for this podcast to be out in the world. There is so much information out there that needs to be spread about how we can support our health. And this is my mission, to share with you in this podcast the best ways to be proactive about your health. We don't have to just take what's given to us and follow the status quo. Not a day goes by, literally, not a day goes by that I don't hear another story about someone who had symptoms or serious issues with their health and someone in conventional medicine or somewhere just threw up their hands and said, well, we can't find anything or there's nothing we can do or you just have to take this medication that has 87 side effects, or your labs are fine, we don't see anything, but you still feel horrible. Please don't settle. Please know that there are other places to look for help and to be proactive about your health. That's what this podcast is about, and I truly hope that I can share with you information that's helpful. So in this podcast alone, we are talking about the oral microbiome and dental health, but it is so much more than that. We don't have to just do what the traditional dentist does or use the techniques that traditional dentistry has used for many, many years. And frankly, some of them are disruptive to our health. Okay, so let me introduce my guest in this podcast conversation, Dr. Stacy Whitman. She is on a mission to create a cavity-free world. She's the founder of NoPo Kids Dentistry in North Portland, Oregon. NoPo meaning N-O for North and P-O for Portland, where she takes a whole body, holistic and functional approach with her patients. Her dentistry and practice philosophy is grounded by science and powered by love. Dr. Stacy attended Tufts University of Dental Medicine and initially worked as a general dentist, eventually going back to school, earning a certificate in pediatric dentistry from Oregon Health and Sciences University. She's always been passionate about children's sleep and airway health. Yes, I said sleep and airway health. I told you it wasn't just going to be about dental health. This is all wrapped together. So focusing her research and residency on how to improve airway assessments and diagnostic tools in the pediatric population. In 2019, she founded NoPo Kids Dentistry with a mission to take the whole body approach to dentistry. She became a diplomat of the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry in 2012 and is a board certified pediatric dentist and a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. She's also involved in many dental organizations, including the Holistic Dental Association, the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, yep, the International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine, the American Association of Ozone Therapy, 
and has her certificate in laser proficiency. She's also um, certified through the Institute of Functional Medicine and um, was working on her master's in human nutrition and functional medicine. So without further ado, I want to introduce Dr. Stacy Whitman in our conversation. I do hope that you are going to find lots and lots of nuggets in this. Um, please be assured that the show notes will be complete with all the things that we've mentioned and probably a few extras. All right. Thanks for being here and enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Dr. Stacy Whitman, to the Full Capacity Living Podcast. I'm really excited to have you here. This is a topic that I wanted to dig into a lot more, the oral microbiome and dental health and oral care and how that affects so many different things in our, in our bodies. Um, and I just want you to start out just telling me a little bit about you and how you came into dentistry, first of all, and then your shift into integrative and, and functional dentistry. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always thrilled to share my passions for oral health and the oral microbiome with uh, audiences. Um, so to start out how I got into dentistry, I it was a very convoluted path, but I, was, I grew up an art theater kid. Um, and as I got into college, I just still, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I always did like the sciences and nutrition and helping people. And so I had a very traumatic bicycle accident when I was 10 and I knocked out some teeth and, you know, had some facial lacerations. And anyway, I just had such a beautiful nurturing dental team around me. And that always stayed with me. So when I was in college, I sort of paired that life experience with my love to work with my hands as an artist. And I just kind of, I just threw in the poker chips. I just said, I'm gonna go to dental school. Um, and that's what I did. And so I went to school in Boston and it was a very traditional program as all dental programs are. And I do, I think that's necessary. I will side note that. Um, I ended up working as a general dentist for a few years. Um, and I lost my mother very suddenly to cancer. And I had always grown up very interested in cleaner living and nutrition, but that really propelled me into preventative medicine and learning more about how to live optimally and to achieve longevity. So that was sort of how I started living my, my life personally. Um, and I, I decided to move out west. So I moved out to Portland, Oregon, um, which is a very welcoming community into that sort of lifestyle too. Um, and I realized I still wasn't really helping my adult patients get to the root causes. And I was really challenged that I wasn't making a big difference. I wasn't feeling professionally satisfied. So I thought, well, how do I get as upstream as possible? It's with kids. You know, that I need to educate to create true prevention throughout their lives. So I went back to school and got my pediatric certification um, and then practiced as a pediatric dentist, again, traditionally, and still wasn't feeling satisfied. And so then I decided, you know what, I just need to open my own practice and do this the way I want to do it. I, I need to treat my patients and educate my patients about lifestyle choices the way that I'm living my life. And so that's when I opened my office and 
um, kind of created a practice model around functional medicine, functional dentistry, and integrative health. What that's a great story, honestly. <laughs> so so many little things we can pull out of that. First of all, I love the idea that that your art background and working with your hands moved into the dental world, right? We don't think about it as an art, but often they talk about it as dental arts. And as you said that, I didn't really put that together, but that's really a, a unique perspective on the dental world. Yeah, I mean, dentistry, you know, especially cosmetics or if we're recreating tooth structure, it really is a lot like sculpture. Um, and the best dentists, at least cosmetic dentists, are very art artistic. Um, in nature. So, but also I knew I needed to do something professionally where I created and worked with my hands. Um, that was really important to me. So it, it's so far so good. It's worked out well. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And, and my, uh, sympathies about losing your mom to cancer. Thank you. Um, that, that hit me very closely, very recently. So I understand mm -hmm. that, um, not with my mom, but my sister. And so I, you know, knowing that a lot of people come to the world of integrative and functional medicine from some personal connection with, okay, I got to change something here, or I'm not feeling good, or somebody is sick in my family, and I need to start shifting things, right? Absolutely. So that, you know, and, and to have a personal story, I think really connects with people too. So, so moving into uh, from adults to pediatrics and integrative and functional Let's start to dig into a little bit. Thanks for telling me your story, but let's dig into what is so important about what we would call the oral microbiome, which I think a lot of people know about the gut microbiome, sure. the microbiomes all over our body, yes. um, but the word kind of really sticks in the gut. Let's bring it up to the oral cavity and why that's so important. Yes. Yeah, the gut microbiome has been pretty front and center for about a decade, especially with the Human um, Genome Project, you know. But we're learning more and more about the critical nature of the oral microbiome. And I really believe that it's ready to blow up um, soon, not only in research, but just with to the general public. Right. Um, and we know that the gut microbiome and the oral microbiome are very closely related. You, you maybe have heard them called kissing cousins. Um, but essentially, you know, our digestive tract, it starts in the mouth and it's all one tube. And so everything that's happening in the mouth is impacting not only our gut through, you know, we, we swallow 2000 times a day. So we're swallowing all of this bacteria. Um, but also we know if we suffer from gum disease or periodontal disease, essentially that's very similar to leaky gut. And so if your gums bleed, that is a way for bacteria now in the mouth, pathogenic bacteria, even food particles to get into the bloodstream. And then they can travel all throughout the body, infecting other organ systems downstream. Um, and so it's, it's really important to nurture our healthy bacteria in our, in our mouths, in our oral microbiome. And so often we've been taught to disinfect the mouth. Like that's just how we've all been um, ingrained to use Listerine and alcohols and astringents and it has to burn to, you know, be clean. And we're realizing that that's, that's wrong. That's the wrong thought process where that's carpet bombing 
our oral microbiome, including our beneficial microbes, which have a lot of health benefits, including immune health responses, remineralization and protection of our teeth, um, you know, helping with salivary flow, nutrition, things of that nature. So um, it's, it's really important to nurture that and kind of reprogram how we're thinking about our oral microbiome. And as you mentioned, there are many microbiomes in the body, but there's actually many different microbiomes in our mouths. And so the microbes in our, along our gum line will be very different than those on our tongue, than those in our tonsils, you know, above the gum, below the gum. And it's really cool. They're now starting to do um, like oral DNA testing and oral genomic and microbiome sequencing. Um, and there's even at-home tests now that patients can do just through a spit test to see, do you harbor more bacteria that might lead to cavities or that might lead to gum disease or that might lead to halitosis or bad breath? And um, if so, how do we help protect patients and get them back onto a course of health. So it's using metrics, which is really cool. And so this is why it's exciting as a functional dentist. We're trying to become more physicians of the mouth and less like technicians of the mouth. Yeah. So, so when you, the, the oral test, cause I'll, I'll actually put a lot of um, links at the end of this podcast um, just so that people can have links to some of these things. Right. Um, and I'll make sure to get that. But what's the name of the test that the so the at home test is called Bristle B R I S T L E. And I have a discount code that I'll share with you that maybe you can put in the show notes. Okay. I'm actually working with them to help create a oral microbiome reset um, protocol for the for the pediatric patients I'm working with. It's essentially a protocol I've been utilizing for many years. But now I have the metric. So. Before, I knew it was working because clinically, I would see cavities arrest or, you know, freeze and stop growing, or I'd even see cavity remineralization, and you see gum health improve and, um, you know, halitosis improve, but now I have metrics to actually show families, and hopefully, we'll start doing research studies and things too, so it's really, it's a cool time to be involved in functional dentistry. Yeah, it definitely is. I think, as you said in the beginning, it's it's ready to blow up. I think there's so many things that are happening now that, that people are more aware of it. So that's a great explanation of the oral microbiome and knowing that there's so many different microbiomes within your mouth. And when you talk about swallowing, I laughed a little bit because my background before I was a health coach was as a medical speech pathologist, primarily oh. working with people in swallowing disorders. Oh, cool. That's fascinating. So it totally is fascinating. Yet, And one of the things that, that was a really big challenge was oral care for people in the hospital. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, and I think of some of the mouths I've worked on and unbelievable yeah. stuff. It's, it's a big deal. I mean, humans are not meant to have cavities. We're not meant to have gum disease. If you look back ancestrally 10,000, 12,000 years ago, if you look at skulls, um, there are no cavities. I mean, it was very rare. And so there's been this huge shift. And now it's just the, everyone assumes that cavities are just part 
of life. We just get cavities. It's not true. And we theorize the shift, and we can even note the shift happened during the agricultural revolution and then even more so during the industrialized revolution, which is really when our diet changed. And we started processing foods, milling foods, milling flowers, adding sugar to everything. And that has made such a huge shift in our microbiomes, but also increased cavity risk. Um, So it's really not your destiny. And that's what we really try to teach patients is that just even though you may have a genetic predisposition, like epigenetics, it's very environmentally controlled. And so this is where with the kids, we teach them to eat the rainbow. We, you know, essentially I'm teaching them about the importance of prebiotic fiber and that that feeds our healthy microbiome and that the pathogenic bacteria, they like fermentable carbohydrates, which are our sugars and our flours. And so that includes like crackers and pretzels and you know, um, granola bars and all of these things that are marketed to many busy parents as healthy, but they're very cavity causing. And so, you know, if we have dysbiosis or issues going on in the mouth, then you need to take a step back and say, well, what's happening in the rest of the body? What is the gut health like? And so we do work with a lot of naturopathic physicians who are trying to get their patients healthy Um, and working on gut health, and they just can't get there. And then we say, well, have you looked in their mouth? And the answer is usually no. And so they're very connected, and you cannot have optimal health without a healthy mouth too. And so we we really need to start working collaboratively with the medical community um, to, to really ultimately help patients thrive. Right. And I think, you know, one of the things that you mentioned in the beginning was that you thought that, you know, general dentistry and traditional conventional dentistry is really important as a side note. I feel the same way about physicians going into Institute of Functional Medicine or people, you know, an MD or a DO. I think it's really important to have that background and and a, a traditional conventional. So, you know, all of that. And then you can kind of add to it with the functional medicine piece, right? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you ha- so I, I hope someday there's the Institute of Functional Dentistry. You know, I so I sit for certification with IFM this fall, fingers crossed. Right. But I hope there's the Institute of Functional Dentistry someday. But I absolutely agree. We have to have that traditional background. There is so much to dentistry that I don't think everyone realizes. It is a very complicated field and nuanced field. But, you know, just like we need acute care physicians, like if you get in a car accident or you have a major infection, um, it's the same with dentistry. Like you are going to have an abscessed tooth. You're going to have a cracked tooth. Like we need essentially technicians, if you will, um, who are very good with the technical skills. But I, I hope someday that we have kind of a separate specialty where it's more, like, as I mentioned, physicians of the mouth, because there is so much connected to the oral systemic um downstream effects of oral health. And and now we're realizing like lab tests can be incredibly important. Like what are your vitamin D levels like? What are your trace minerals like? You know, genetic um, predispositions, there's, there's connections to Alzheimer's and dementia and diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So um, it's, it's, it's really exciting and it's nuanced, but again, I think we need more education and I think there's a lot of dentists out there who want to practice this way, 
but there's no place to go. And so if you meet a functional dentist, it's important to know that we have haphazardly kind of become who we are through random courses and CEs and books and networking. There's no one place to do that yet. And and so we're really working hard to create that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a, a really good project for the future, right? Yeah. Not that you have anything, any time to do that. Let me go back a little bit to what you were talking about in terms of um, cavities and what kids are eating, because I think generally people would say, well, you know, maybe they're eating too much sugar and drinking too much pop. Right. Right. But what else actually causes cavities? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And it's really important. We all know soda and candy are bad for our teeth. But cavities are still the number one chronic disease in children on planet Earth. Uh, Yes. And being in my office, I can attest to this because it is all day, every day I'm diagnosing cavities. And very often it's in families that are doing everything right, quote unquote. They're not feeding their children soda. They're not giving them candy all day. They're brushing pretty well. So what is it? And it's really involved. And so... It's snack foods, number one. So my nemesis are goldfish crackers. These are are the, they seem so innocent and they're easy for busy parents. Kids love them, but they stick in the teeth and they break down the flowers. They break down to sugar. Um, They're basically partially digested. So the pathogenic bacteria in our mouths have a field day. And when they metabolize the food remnants, they release acid, essentially. And so that your child is sitting there with these crackers, you know, in their chewing surfaces, stuck down between their teeth, and they sit there all day, and they can really cause problems, especially if that's one of our go-to snacks that we eat multiple times a day, every day, or if we're grazing on them. And that's the problem with many ultra-processed snack foods is that they're made to be grazed upon you know they're not satiating you grab a handful out of the bag you go and play you come back you grab a handful and so we're just constantly bathing our mouths in acid essentially so we really do try to encourage families to lean more towards whole foods things i say that come from the earth if you will so our vegetables, our fruits, our meats, our cheeses, nuts and seeds, olives, pickles, seaweed snacks, um, those things, they, they will not cause cavities. What causes cavities are fermentable carbohydrates, and that essentially are that's sugars and flours. And I get asked all the time, well, what about organic? Or what about non-GMO? It's your bacteria doesn't care. Um, that might have more benefit in other aspects in our bodies, but your bacteria, they do not care if it's organic or conventional. Um, and so, you know, flour is flour in that regard and sugar is sugar in that regard. Okay. Wow. That's a great, great, great answer. And I think something that, that most parents probably would not suspect, right? I, I'm sure yeah. when you say that to your parents, they're thinking, really? Goldfish? I mean, you know, goldfish crackers, they probably knew didn't have much nutrition, but didn't probably think that that was leading to cavities. Yeah. And it's the, you know, some, some of these companies, it depends on the brand, but they have food dyes and they have preservatives and 
shelf stabilizers, and those things are all affecting your microbiome too. Um, so, but again, I see so many kids and they're doing everything right. And when we really sit down and do a full workup and we really go into, you know, a food journal essentially, almost exclusively so many are eating crackers, fruit snacks, fruit leathers, pretzels, chips, um, and that adds up all day, every day. That really does add up. Yeah. Okay. Great information. Again, that's what I want this, this conversation to be, some education, some really interesting facts, but then also some things that people can take away and start to shift around themselves so that they know, here's something I can do that's really easy. Right? Yeah, it might mean as simply just only offering them once a day or offer a... A, a actual um, serving size, like take out an amount, put it in a bowl and have your child sit and mindfully eat instead of just grazing out of the bag or um, offering water after to rinse some of the flowers and sugars off or even better, you could offer an apple or a carrot or cheese because just the mastication, the chewing of something crunchy, um, it will help rinse off some of the flowers and sugars and cheese actually is a great neutralizer because again, it's acid that causes the issues. And so we really want a more neutral or alkaline pH of our saliva. The other thing I will add, and many don't realize this and look at me like I'm crazy, is the importance of flossing. I can't emphasize it enough I think flossing is more important than brushing 100% because almost 100% of cavities that I see in kids are between the back molars. Okay. So it's not from lack of brushing, it's from lack of flossing. So I ask families to prioritize that, do that first. You can use those little floss picks. And what I do, I just do it in the bedroom with my kids. We do it during, during nighttime stories. I lay them back. Um, and sometimes you have to be uh, clever. You know, parent, kids don't always love brushing and flossing. I do believe consistency is key. They will get there. Keep it positive. Sing songs. Have a dance party. You know, have reward charts. But, <laughs> but I want these kids to become adults who floss because, again, gum disease and periodontal disease is linked to many, many systemic issues. And for me, what motivates me to floss is the connection to Alzheimer's and dementia. Like, for, for me, I want to be cognitively uh, alert and I want to protect my brain at all costs. And so that connection is very motivating to me. And I find a lot of adults find that motivating too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't want to avoid some of those systemic diseases and heart disease too? I mean, that's heart a disease. Absolutely. Too. Arthritis. I mean, autoimmune disease. And again, we're, we're uncovering a lot, um, especially as we get more into um, like SNPs and genetic um, markers and things like MTHFR and COMT and how are those linked? Like we're learning a lot now through the research and um, it's, 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 again, it's a really exciting time, but prevention is key and it, it doesn't take a lot, you know, hygiene's part of it, your diet's part of it and, and how you're breathing is part of it. And that's a big part of functional dentistry too is airway health and managing breath work and particularly we need to make sure we're nasal breathing and not mouth breathing because yeah. when we breathe through our mouths we change our oral microbiome and so many of us are mouth breathers now so that's a whole other topic we can unpack it's a whole other topic and it's one of my favorite books that book breath 
James Nestor. I mean, the book of the it's the book of the century as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I rec I just recommended it to someone. I was just on a call with a client, and they said, "Do you have any books you recommend?" And I said, "Well, I have stacks of them, but yeah. I'll give maybe my top three, and that's definitely in my top three. Oh, absolutely. He made such a kind of dull subject so cool. <laughs> To the general public, yeah. I mean, I admire him so much. But yes, that book is phenomenal, and it, you know, we, I believe your how you breathe and sleep um, are paramount for health. You know, you can be eating perfectly paleo, and you can be doing hit workouts every day, but if you're not sleeping and breathing properly, you will not achieve optimal health. And so his book is so great. And I recommend to listen to it if you have Audible because he reads it and he has such a good radio voice. He makes it so interesting. Yeah. So just a, just a tip. Yeah. I actually didn't listen to it on Audible. I have the, um, because I had to turn down lots of pages and make lots of notes and yeah, yeah. notes in there. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll think about that. I have so many Audible credits. There's so many things that we can unpack here in what you just said. So I kind of want to go back a little bit. My thought was we'd, we'd kind of go into pregnancy and oral health and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff. But you mentioned a couple things here, though, that I think are really important to connect because we're, we're sort of talking about the adult realm, too, because you're probably not testing your kids for MTHFR or the COMT or anything like that. No, right. no. A lot of kids come in knowing they're, they have MTHFR, though, in particular. MTHFR is the one that gets all the attention right now. I think it's yes. a, little, a little blown out of proportion, honestly, because there are so many other uh, right. things to be talking about, too. But it's, it's on the radar of the public. And so a lot of parents are working with naturopaths, and they've, they okay. have tested their kids. But um, connection. I'm sorry? What's the connection with MTHFR and the oral microbiome? Well, it's it's immune response. I mean, obviously methylation, how we're detoxing. So it's really important if you're going to undergo undergo procedures, particularly if a child needs nitrous or sedation and what materials you're using. I mean, obviously I do I'm not a proponent of mercury fillings. I really like to be cautious with what um, composites or plastic filling materials we're using. I personally use a ceramic-based material. Um, which is the best on the market. You know, nothing's as good as your your real tooth. So, of course, the best filling is no filling. Um, but it's important to know that just so we can help support children. I mean, I do think there's a little bit of fear-mongering going on about having MTHFR. I have it, I'm, so that means I just detoxify a bit slower. So I need to support myself with B12 and methylfolate and I take Epsom salt baths if I'm doing surgery because I'm around the anesthetic gases and I'm around the nitrous oxide. But we can't be unrealistic with our expectations either. You know, a lot of children, if they do need dental work, they, they really do need nitrous or some need sedation. And that, that is just something you, you need to speak to your dentist about and hopefully that they can help support your child. But it's not a contraindication. Um, so... Sure. Okay. That, that's, that's important. That's usually what comes up is if we're doing treatment. Okay. So you, you mentioned um, medications and some of that thing. There, there's always this, this sort of nervousness and anxiety that people have about going to the dentist and kids yeah. in particular. Yeah. They're, 
Is there something that you use, like any kind of natural herbal supplements or anything like that, that can calm kids down a little bit or? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, We run essential oils in the office and we have a special calm blend that we use. Um, But what I've honestly found is most helpful is I did, I have taken some hypnosis classes. Um, So, but it's, it's, it's your tone and demeanor and your presence. And we do speak ahead of time to parents. So many parents come in with their own dental phobia and trauma. And the whole reason I went into pediatrics was what I wanted to get upstream for prevention. But I also was so disappointed to hear of all the traumatic experiences adults had as a child. And I just knew it did not have to be that way. And part of that, again, is prevention. You know, if you don't have to sit through crowns and root canals and scaling and root planing and all of these invasive procedures, the dentist is quite easy and quite can be quite lovely, you know? So, um, but my team is amazing. We use a lot of behavioral management techniques, which you wouldn't, so it's not pharmaceutical necessarily or even herbal, but it's more... Um, our presence and our energy and uh, we, we really like to try to connect with the child and it's important for the parents to try to leave their emotional disturbances or um, trauma at the door as best as possible and trust in your dental team and also I do tell parents trusting your intuition also you know all dentists are not the same just like all medical providers are not the same. And so if you go into an office and you feel unheard or unsupported, or you just feel bad um, energy or they're not connecting or um, respecting your child, you I really suggest is getting a second opinion or finding another office that resonates with you. Yeah, I would agree. I tell people that all the time, like you should be able to interview your doctor and maybe talk to them before you actually go and yeah, you know, if you don't feel comfortable. Then that's yeah, that's a big a big it's, part of it. You're a team. You are absolutely a team. You're a doctor. You know, doctor means teacher. We are guides. We are there to help guide you and educate you. But we're not dictators. And if you feel like you're in that type of relationship, I don't think that's a healthy relationship. Um, but really, we achieve optimal health through teamwork. Yeah, great. So let's kind of start at the the beginning level here too, like, and work our way um, through by talking about pregnancy and oral health. And then, you know, pre-pregnancy, pregnancy, mamas, babies born with tongue ties, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about there. So the first thing to speak about is We know now that gum disease and oral microbiome imbalances can actually affect fertility. And there's been some studies to show it can take women with active gum and periodontal disease anywhere from two to 12 months longer to become pregnant. Um, And that the fathers are involved in that too because their microbiomes are very important to conception as well. And again, there's more research coming out. you know, this doesn't always work out this way, but if you can, if you're planning to get pregnant, I suggest you try to get your oral health in check and your gut health in check as best as possible. Um, Really focusing on prevention and and oral hygiene, but also nutrition. 
Um, and then once we get pregnant, it's it's really important to make sure as best you can. And some women are just so sick and, and depleted and it's it's challenging. But between weeks 17 and 21, a lot of oral development happens. You know, that's when primary teeth develop and, and jaw development really starts to, to shine. And so making sure you're getting your fat-soluble vitamins, you know, your vitamin D, your vitamin K, your trace minerals, your calcium, um, keeping your gut health in check, it's really important for oral dental development. We are seeing more and more under-mineralized teeth um, in, in primary teeth and permanent teeth, and many of us theorize a lot of that can be due to trace mineral deficiencies and vitamin D deficiency in pregnancy. Um, so nutrition is, is paramount. Um, and making sure you're working with a good doctor who's getting you on methylfolate and, and not folic acid. And, you know, that can affect midline defects and things of that nature too. So I think really working with a either functional medicine or naturopathic provider, if you could through your pregnancy, would be wonderful. Um, and then, you know, after you have your baby, and this happened to me personally, again, trust your instinct. So a bre your breastfeeding journey will not be easy, but it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be extremely painful uh, and extremely challenging. And I think many women's concerns aren't heard by many physicians and, and a lot of tongue ties are missed. So it's hard to find the right provider that knows how to properly diagnose this. Um, but working with an, an IBCLC, and it usually has to be someone outside of the hospital system. There's a little bit of controversy with tongue tie and many hospitals aren't allowed to speak about it. But really trying to find a supportive team to properly assess your child because it's if if your baby has tongue tie and it truly is affecting function it's a game changer not only for your breastfeeding experience but also for their gut health and their jaw development and then just avoiding future issues too yeah. um, and then knowing that teeth first erupt usually around six months old and how important hygiene is at that point you really do need to be starting to brush um, teeth or wipe teeth even with just a plain cloth you know, we we hear of nursing caries or nursing cavities or bottle rot is what they call it or bottle cavities. I mean, you never want to put your baby to bed with a bottle with either breast milk or cow's milk. But unfortunately, I think so many women are told they have to stop breastfeeding. They're giving their child cavities, and that really upsets me when they're being told that because their provider's missing an opportunity to educate and really get to the root cause. Breast milk by itself does not cause cavities. Um, it's a perfect storm. It can contribute to them, but there have to be other imbalances happening. And again, that comes back to the oral microbiome. Right. So either we've, and it's always after you started to introduce food that we start seeing cavities. So are you giving your child a lot of fermentable carbohydrates, those rice crackers and those, those like melty, you know, cookie type things, trying to offer whole foods, real foods, you know, there's the whole baby led weaning movement. And I'm not in one camp or the other, but I do believe we need to get back to giving our kids real food 
um, and supporting them nutritionally that way. We, we also know that chewing is incredibly important for jaw development. And you, I'm sure you know this through your past um, experience as an SLP, but you know, and James Nestor speaks about this too, but we've lost our art of chewing. Our foods are already half digested for us. And ancestrally, we used to chew on roots and tough meat and nuts. And like we were chewing a lot and we had these big wide jaws and these big airways and ancestral humans didn't have orthodontists. And so now we're seeing more crowding, more airway issues, more mouth breathing. And part of that is due to nutritional deficiencies, but also how we're chewing our food or lack thereof. Um, And then I do, so you want to start a good oral health care routine. If your child's mouth breathing, we really want to get that assessed. You know, what is that from? Is it adenoids, tonsils? Is it a food intolerance? Sometimes gluten and dairy sensitivity can cause um, sinus inflammation and congestion. Um, It can sometimes because of tongue tie. There's a lot that can go into that. Jaw relationship. So trying to work with a pediatric dentist, ideally, that's pretty knowledgeable. And then making sure, you know, I like to see... Uh, babies around like seven or eight months old because I'm looking for all of these things but the the national recommendation is to make sure you have a dental home around the age of one and many uh, I think many people don't realize that or they'll even call a dental office and maybe they're calling their family dentist an adult dentist and they'll say oh no bring them in at three or four it's that's way too late way 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 too late your child can have rampant decay at that point. And I'm not trying to create fear. I'm just, if you haven't brought your child to the dentist, I, I would call. But if you have a young baby, you know, ideally bringing them in around their first birthday is, is, is ideal. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's just describe tongue tie a little bit, because I think sure. that sometimes people may not completely know what that is because it can be a couple different areas, right? Yeah, well, there's, there's, it's called ankle glossia. So that's, we all have a frenum. And if you lift your tongue up, you'll see this little string of tissue under your tongue. And that's normal. And then we have a string of tissue between, uh, it's like by our upper lip between our two front teeth. And sometimes you'll have little frenums, they call them buckle ties throughout too. Um, I'm going to focus less on that because there's actually not a lot of data or research to support buckle ties being an issue. But sometimes we're born with frenums that are too thick or too short or too tight, and it can impair and affect function. And that's the issue is in concern is, is the frenum affecting function? If it's not, you're fine. But this is why you cannot assess this on a photo. And so I see on social media a lot of times people like self-diagnosing or diagnosing each other from a picture, you cannot ever, ever diagnose tongue tie from a photo. You have to see the patient in person and it's not just sticking your tongue out. So if your provider says they can stick their tongue out, they're fine, no. (laughs) Um, Your tongue moves in all directions. It moves in and out. It moves side to side, it lateralizes, it cups, it moves like in a wave-like fashion. Um, it, it really needs to be functionally, optimally in all directions. And this is where a skilled provider will be able to make that assessment. But it can affect, so initially you may notice issues with breastfeeding, but not always. 
Um, and so if you have a lot of pain or your child has a lot of reflux or gas, um, and this is where your IBCLC can help, that can be a sign that you might have a tongue-tied child. And I will say it is familial. So usually if the baby has a tongue-tie, one of the parents do too. Um, but also, and this is what many pediatricians and other physicians aren't discussing or aren't aware of, it's not just breastfeeding. As you know, it can affect speech down the road, but even still, that's not it. So when we're at rest, our tongue should be suctioned up to the roof of our mouth. Um, it's called resting posture. And in utero, and as we are, as our child grow, that tongue muscle being up there, it pushes out and it actually helps shape the palate. The palate, the roof of the mouth, is the floor of the nose. And so your tongue needs to be up there to widen your palate, and that helps create a really healthy airway. If the tongue is fixed to the floor of the mouth, it can't get up. And so that is when we have a really narrow, high palate. Um, and all of these things, if your tongue is sitting low in your mouth and not up high against your palate, that can lead to mouth breathing. And so mouth breathing has all kinds of downstream effects, including, as we mentioned, oral microbiome imbalances, gut microbiome imbalances. It can increase cavity risk because our mouth dries out and our mouth is very acidic. Um, it affects nitric oxide production because when we breathe through our nose, our sinuses produce a lot of nitric oxide and that is a molecule that helps a lot with cardiovascular health. But also if we're mouth breathing, we tend not to be getting into our deep restorative sleep cycles. Um, so we have generally something called sleep disordered breathing or that can lead to sleep apnea. And we know that has all kinds of effects too downstream. So it, it, it's not only tongue tie, but it's part of the equation. Um, and also we notice when kids have tongue tie, they sometimes are pegged as picky eaters. And it's because when you chew or masticate, your tongue does a lot of movement, moving that bolus of food around and helping you swallow. So kids that are tongue-tied very often gravitate more towards foods that they don't have to chew a lot, that they can kind of mash or that melt. And what are those foods? There are white foods. There are pastas and our crackers and our you know chips and, and our breads. And so we think my kid's a picky eater, they don't like vegetables, when really it's a bit of a survival mechanism because many of them feel like they're gonna choke if they're eating really crunchy apples and carrots and meat, they can't chew or move the food around and so they're protecting their airway. Um, and so that's not always the case if you have a picky eater, there's many things that go into that, but it's something that I always think about when a mom or dad comes in and says, my child's a picky eater and I look at the child and their mouth breathing, and then I ask the mom, how is breastfeeding? And she says, we could never do it. And you know, you just, it's, it's part of your differential diagnosis. Yeah, you start to create this picture and say, mm -hmm. well, okay, here are a couple of things that, that probably are impacting this and we should look a little bit deeper. So lots of great information. Again, like we, we talked about, um, the, the book by James Nestor, um, Breathe, so, which yeah. is one of our, both of our favorites. Absolutely. Favorite, which really talks a lot about this. So I'll put that in the show notes. 
Um, so what, if I may interrupt, what's cool about his book is he shares his own personal experience exactly. in what the downstream effects were for him when because he didn't have a lot of these issues addressed as a child. And I will say it's never too late. A month ago, I had my tonsils out and I had my tongue tie released. Really? Um, yeah, so you can always do it, but you know, it's better to catch it in childhood to avoid other issues. And so that is my recommendation. Yeah, definitely. So lots of information there for people to really kind of figure out like, do I want to see a different dentist? Do I want to have this, this checked out a little bit more? The breastfeeding, the, the pre um, pregnancy stuff where people probably don't even think about that, right? Yeah. And that it can lower your ability to, to have a child in your fertility, right? So let's talk a little bit about um, some hygiene stuff. Like, yeah. And how, um, you know, brushing, brushing and flossing tips, positioning products, some really good things that, that might be helpful for people. Um, what to do if your kids don't want to do that. Yeah, sure. So... I'll just go from birth on up. Um, ideally, early introduction is best. So I started wiping my baby's mouths with just a washcloth to desensitize them from me being in their mouth. So this is before they had teeth. Once they have teeth, I, I do recommend that you start brushing them. Once a tooth comes in the mouth, it could get a cavity. Um, we usually notice cavities once food has been introduced, not just breast milk. But what I did, and many parents say this works for them too, is I did our oral care routine right on the changing table. So there's a reason dentists lay patients back. We can see what we're doing. If, if you can look down into your child's mouth, you can be more gentle, you can be faster, but you also can see what's going on. So there's unfortunately so many kids that come in and they'll have this huge hole in their tooth and their parents just never look in their mouth. So they didn't even know it was there. So I really encourage you to be aware of what's happening in your children's mouths. But for me, it was just easy because I'm, I'm at the changing table multiple times a day. So we just did it first thing in the morning when we got out of our PJs and changed our diaper. And last thing at night when we put our PJs back on and put the diaper back on. So I love to lay kids back. And I have some videos, too, on my social media account that can help visualize this for, patient, uh, for um, your listeners. But I like those little silicone finger brushes they slip on your finger i think that's a really nice way to start or just wiping with a little cloth they actually make xylitol wipes too that you can use and i, I suggest using those sometimes after middle of the night um breastfeeding as well to keep the teeth really clean um and then i'm sure everybody's seen that little banana brush there's a silicone banana brush you can use once molars come in that is when I do like to see a really soft, small-headed um, traditional toothbrush being used with a little bit of toothpaste. I personally recommend a hydroxyapatite toothpaste to my patients. Um, hydroxyapatite is a mineral that is in our enamel already, and it's safe to swallow. It's safe to use in babies. It's safe to use in toddlers. It's safe to use if you're pregnant. It works as well, and some research has shown better than fluoride, and it's it's non-toxic. So again, I have more information 
on that on my my platform because that could be a three-hour talk <laughs> about hydroxyapatite and fluoride but that's what i recommend um once once second molars come in they call them the two-year-old molars which is usually between actually two and a half and three that is when flossing is essential and so many parents get duped because they look again they're not laying their kids back so they're just looking straight ahead at their at their kids and they'll see space in between their front teeth and they'll say I don't need a floss there's plenty of space well back in the molars there isn't they are touching just like our teeth touch and that is where every pediatric dentist on planet earth sees cavities in kids almost 100% of the time if we're going to find a cavity that's where it is you can't see it clinically generally until it's it's really big so we can't find them until we take x-rays and of course that depends on behavior of the child so a lot of times we get x-rays usually around the age of three and a half or four and by that time sometimes it's a little too late and we find cavities and it's really typical to get x-rays for the first time and find eight cavities and that's because we have eight molars so it's it's you know in each quadrant of your mouth, it's kind of like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're like in between. So that's where flossing is critical. And again, do it in the bedroom, do it on the changing table or as they get older, um, especially if you're using a toothpaste like hydroxyapatite that's safe to swallow, just do it in the bedroom. I throw my girls back on a bean bag so they're laying back or on their bed and we brush and floss. Uh, at night, just right in their bedroom during nighttime stories. I don't, we don't want to be rinsing our toothpaste off. This is another oh. thing many people don't realize. So whether you use fluoride or hydroxyapatite, if you're rinsing it off, you're, you're just rinsing all of that down the drain. We want it to sit on our teeth, ideally for 20 or 30 minutes for maximum remineralization. So I don't care if you do it in the bathroom. And I know that's really hard for some patients and, and listeners to wrap their brains around, but um, you have to trust me on this one. So I like to floss first and then brush. And then some. what I say to some patients, I'm like, you know what, brush and then rinse and then just do a quick wipe over with just another thin layer of your toothpaste and just try to acclimate to that. Okay. Um, so with kids, like it's very typical for children not to like their teeth brushed. Um, it's very similar to how many children don't like their diapers changed or their faces wiped or their hair washed or them to be buckled up in their car seat. But these are things we still do. And so I encourage you to make it a non-negotiable. That doesn't mean you have to be negative and aggressive about it. But, you know, I, I've never met an adult who remembers their parents brushing their teeth and having this trauma. But I know many, many adults who have trauma from, a, from dentists fixing their teeth. So right. try to think of that when your child's really upset. And just, you know, get in and out, short and sweet, quality over quantity, sit them up and then make it really positive. You know, yay, you cheer, you, you may just try no to- No m and treat for getting your teeth broken. No, please no, oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but, you know, I will say if you're really consistent out of the gate, I would say uh, usually around three years old, it just clicks and then it just becomes less of a battle. And if your child's older, you may have to get a little more creative. Certainly having your dentist talk to them can be motivational, but uh, charts work really well too. And I have lots of charts on my office website. 
um, which we can put in the show notes, but I have brushing and flossing charts. I have thumb sucking and pacifier charts. I have eat the rainbow charts because we want, to, again, to encourage kids to eat whole foods and all that good prebiotic fiber to feed their beneficial bacteria. So please download those and use them. Good. Um, but consistency is key. And just knowing you're all doing a great job and that some nights are going to be better than others. You just do the best you can. Um, I would pick a nighttime floss and brush over a morning brush. You know, if you had to pick between flossing at night and brushing in the morning, I'd always pick flossing at night. But trying to trying to get a morning brush in is ideal, you know, just to get them into the routine too. Sure. That's, that's great. Lots of good information. So the hydroxyapatite, is that, that's an ingredient, right? That's not, and there's probably lots of brands that have a toothpaste that's hydroxyapatite. Yes. yes. So hydroxyapatite makes uh, over 90, up over 90% of our enamel and about 60% of our bone. So um, it's biomimetic. It's an interesting, fun little tidbit is NASA started using it first in the 1970s. They made a hydroxyapatite toothpaste that they gave to the astronauts because when they went into zero gravity, they lost a lot of mineral content from their teeth. So they've been using it in the science program forever. So Japan and Italy in particular jumped on this back in the 70s. So it's been standard of care in the toothpaste in those countries for decades and decades. But it's sort of blowing up now in the United States. Um, and the problem is there's a lot, uh, companies are picking up on the fact that consumers want this. Oh boy. But many of them are not putting enough hydroxyapatite in their formulations. Okay. So you do just seem a little bit careful with that. Hydroxyapatite is very expensive to source. Okay. And, you know, it's not very regulated. So you can put literally like a dusting of hydroxyapatite in your formula and then plant on the label like hydroxyapatite. So I uh, let me do the research for you on that. I don't expect you to do it. But right now, my favorites are Risewell and Boca. Um, there's... I, I don't think there's a perfect toothpaste on the market yet, though I will say that. You know, there's concerns with glycerin and certainly sodium lauryl sulfate and emulsifiers and surfactants. And I, I just think less is more. Again, we me I mentioned like the foaming and the burning and, you know, extreme essential oils are not good for your oral microbiome. So I know a lot of people use this one brand in particular that is all about essential oils. And I'm not a fan of that because essential oils are not selective and they're antimicrobial. And so they can be killing your beneficial bacteria too. Again, we want to nourish and support our healthy bacteria. And just in doing that, you know, organically, our bad bacteria won't have as much room. It's called crowding out. Um, so but anyway, so yes, hydroxyapatite, I mean, look for it in the marketplace. You're going to see more and more out there, but there's a lot of research to support it. Um, it does remineralize our enamel as well as fluoride, and there has been some research to say it actually is outperforming fluoride, which is cool. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good to know. And and knowing that there, and that's that's sort of the way of our, our um, society, right? Like somebody finds there's this product that's, that everybody wants and, and then it becomes the it thing and every product you see has probiotic on it or, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. 
yeah. free when it was never a product that had gluten before. So Yeah, totally. It's market yeah. buyer beware. I mean, we have to be I really believe you have to be your own health advocate and find resources and providers that you trust okay. um, and let let some of us do some of that research for you so you're not sitting up late at night reading about hydroxyapatite like I am. Let me do that. <laughs> right, right. That's exactly why this podcast exists so that we can have people on here to give us the information, right? Um I also, I do kind of want to step back a little bit to the, the airway and sleep issue, because I think that's a really important thing um, and connecting some of the things that can happen because of that, the chronic asthma, ADHD, gut health issues, um, and, and what people should be looking for, right? So if they suspect that maybe their kids have some airway and sleep issues that maybe they didn't really think about until they heard this podcast, what are they going to look for? Um, who should they see? Yeah. What kind of things are, are we paying attention to? Yeah, I thank you for mentioning ADHD. Um, so common is not normal. And so many parents, and I. this happened to me with my daughter too, you don't realize your kids are mouth breathing or having issues until it's pointed out to you. So try to just be open-minded to investigating. You know, my daughter, so none of this is taught in dental school and I didn't go down this rabbit hole of airway health until she was about three. <coughs> Excuse me. And I look back at old photos of her and she is mouth breathing with her mouth open in every single photo. Oh, wow. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. So she was tongue-tied and had big adenoids and tonsils. I'm going to take a drink. Yeah. Um, so what you want to look for. So a lot of parents, they put their kids to bed. And I think if you're like me, you close the door and then you like run away. You know, we want to be observing <laughs> our children. You need to be observing your ch children sleeping. So what part of our screening is we ask parents, is your child grinding? Are they mouth breathing? Are they noisy breathing? Do they toss and turn or are they very restless? Do they wake up frequently throughout the night and then do they have a hard time settling again? Do they spin around in their beds or are their bed sheets all twisted or do they end up in really strange positions? You know, is their neck craned back or are they like half in their bed and half out of their bed? Are they sleepwalking? Are they sleep talking? Do they have prolonged bedwetting? Um, that can be a sign too. Or are you starting to notice behavioral issues? So hyperactivity, um, or did they just get diagnosed with ADHD kind of out of nowhere? These are all red flags. And so um, this part of my sleep intake questionnaire, but I do encourage uh, patients to look for that. There's a really great book that's written for parents. It's called Sleep Wrecked Kids. Um, it's by Sharon Moore. And I really encourage you to read it. She has great ways to try to kind of assess your own child. But honestly, if you read that book, you're going to know more than many providers do. The challenging part is if we do feel there is an airway issue, there aren't a lot of providers that are extremely knowledgeable or supportive about this. So many parents will go to an ENT, let's say, and the ENT will say, they're fine, they're going to outgrow it. Or their dentist will say, you know, this is normal, kids grind, get some earplugs, you know, ha, ha, ha. Oh, wow. 
It's not true. Those are providers you really don't want to be working with. Again, common is not normal. Mouth breathing is not normal unless maybe you have a cold or congestion, but chronic mouth breathing, chronic snoring, anything that's been happening for a long extended period of time is not normal. And it could be that they have enlarging um, adenoids or tonsils, or again, they might have a food intolerance, could be gluten dairy it could be environmental like maybe you need a really quality air filter maybe you need to make sure the cat doesn't sleep in their bedroom anymore um it could be nutritional deficiencies too that that can affect sleep so especially magnesium deficiencies trace mineral deficiencies vitamin d iron those are all linked to um sleep disturbances it can be from tongue tie you know mouth breathing Um, jaw development and orthodontic relationships too. So, you know, I really encourage you to be an advocate for your child. And again, that book is wonderful, but try to find providers that support you. Um, You can look on, it's called the AAPMD. Um, They're a really good resource for providers or the Breathe Institute out of LA. If finding providers that have trained there, you for sure will make sure that you're in the right hands if you can find a Breathe Institute trained provider. Oh, great. That's that's perfect. What is AAPMD? Uh, the American Association of Pulmonary Medicine and Dentistry or something. Okay. But yes, it's like an airway sleep organization um, where you can get certification or just attending the meetings. Um, really help. It just, if a, if a provider's a member of that, that means they're really interested and passionate about airway health and sleep health. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And that's the, the kind of thing that you need because it is really hard to find providers that will pay attention to that and listen. Um, yeah. It, and I can see why. I mean, it's overwhelming. Once you start learning about this you can't unsee it so you know it's really hard for me to go in public now or watch a movie because I just you know I'll say that person's a mouth breather that person's a mouth breather that person has sleep apnea um but it's important to catch it early in your kids because we're just trying to avoid them to be these adults that have cardiovascular issues or are on a CPAP you know god forbid so it's it's important to stay ahead of it well, I know from my perspective as a speech pathologist, we used to see a lot of people in the hospitals who, you know, traditionally people would think, you know, if you have sleep apnea, it's because you're overweight, right? That was where people started with that. And then we'd see all these people who were normal weight and had sleep apnea. And so losing weight is not the solution to it. There's got to be, at that time, you know, nobody was really paying attention to that, at least in my world of speech pathology within the hospital system, we weren't paying attention to that. Yeah. And so many women have maybe not necessarily sleep apnea, but they have sleep disordered breathing and it's very underdiagnosed. Um, but a lot of women have issues there too. So trying again, just training providers that support you. Right. Which is, you know, why there's books on insomnia for women, because um, no. <laughs> it's a breath piece, but it's also, you know, a breath or breathing issue as well. Uh, so amazing information, so much stuff for people to kind of dig through and start. Look, I, I can see everybody start looking at their kids' mouths and, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, that's great. I know. And accomplished. <laughs> As you were talking about that, I thought about this one instance where, 
And this is totally, it's on topic, but it's not on topic. I just have to share it because it was kind of a crazy story. I had a patient in a facility who had um, a partial denture mm-hmm. and the partial denture, because this person had dementia, I walked in these, it was a husband and wife sitting there and I was going to do a little swallowing therapy session. And, um, you know, I walked in and, and the wife was like, oh, okay, we'll do this. And I had, a, you know, I always looked in people's mouths before I fed them. That seems like a normal, typical thing to do, right? You look in their mouth, make sure there's, especially with a dementia patient, make sure there's nothing in there. Well, I saw something really far back, like at the base of his palate, base of his tongue. And I thought, wow, is that his, his I, you know, I, I thought, I don't know what that is because it almost looks like his, um, like cartilage kind of coming up from, you know, huh. a, the larynx area. But I thought, well, let me just palpate that a little bit. It was hard. Huh. Well, come to find out it was his partial denture that had gone down. Hmm. And there was no way that thing was coming out. I wasn't taking it out. He actually yeah. had to go to the ER. Yeah. The interesting part oh. of the story is that I was talking to another speech therapist who said, well, what made you look in his mouth? Ah, uh, I know. And I said, what do you mean? I know. Mouth my, my whole mission is to get the mouth back into the body. Unfortunately, dentistry went one way, medicine went the other. And for some reason, we think they're separate because we've physically separated the specialties. But the mouth is the gateway into the body. And we can see nutritional deficiencies. We can see gluten and celiac disease. We can, I mean, there's so much that you can see in the mouth that is showing you what's happening in the rest of the body. I will say, though, what's interesting, another reason why you want to keep your teeth, there's studies to show a dentalish patient. So it's not losing one or two teeth, but people who have dentures or, or a lot of missing teeth, they are more likely to have dementia and Alzheimer's because proprioception, that's the ability of our teeth to react to our bite and there's signals that are sent to the hippocampus in the brain. It has a lot to do with like memory um, and there's research, preliminary research to show there is a link between patients who lose teeth and get into dentures, and then it just expedites their, their dementia or cognitive decline. So just another reason to floss and brush and eat the rainbow. Floss and brush, eat the rainbow. Yeah. I mean, dementia has come up several times, but, and you're right, like there is this disconnection. And I think, I often think all of the things that I've learned in functional medicine would these such incredible tools for speech therapists now because yeah. you look at so many things differently. Like I looked in thousands of mouths, but I wasn't looking at it from a functional medicine perspective at that point. Yeah. Um, as a speech therapist should know to look in somebody's mouth before they start. To well, speak. any provider and also, you know, restorative treatment that's failing, like failing root canals and different metals in the mouth. They have different galvanic reactions and that can affect a lot, you know? So there's a lot that goes into, especially being a very good functional dentist for adults, um, periodontal disease, you know, there's a lot to it. So I'm just really excited um, to have this opportunity to shed light to speak about my passions, but then hopefully, I think the movement and the change is going to come from the public. Um, they're gonna, ha- they're going to demand 
just more inclusive and integrative oral health care. And so I'm really excited for that. Yeah, yeah. We're going to move the ball forward, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Great. do it. All right. So the last thing that I want to ask is just about nutritional um, importance and supplementation for, you've mentioned a couple of things. Let's just kind of go through that list and kind of organize it a little bit better. And already yep. you've talked about the fat soluble vitamins, ADEK, vitamin D, all that kind of stuff, which is good. Um, but there's some other things too that I think are important. So go ahead and talk about some of those things like the omega-3s or collagen or any of those things. All, all of them, yeah. So vitamin D in particular is significantly linked to increased cavity risk. Um, but we know vitamin D needs vitamin K2 with it. So I really recommend everyone's on a K D3, K2 supplement. Um, but even better if you know your levels because how do you know how much to take um, but most of us are vitamin D deficient, and so we really do need K2 with it. Um, the other thing, too, is magnesium deficiency. Magnesium helps with, you know, calcium placement and bioavailability. So um, I, all, our soil is so mineral deficient and depleted. And so, again, those are the two, like a magnesium supplement and D3K2 is what I sort of standard across the board recommend to all my patients. Um, that will help with dental health. Um, and also, K2, you, you have to be a little cautious with K2 if you're on any blood thinners or anything. You should. Like yeah, you should. Yes. work Always work with your doctors on all of these things, of yeah. course. Um, but usually a little K2 supplement is not going to be move the needle too much. But I, of course, work with your providers. Um, uh also knowing, so celiac and gluten intolerance is really significantly correlated to increased cavity risk and undermineralized teeth as well. So just, just knowing that as well is really important. For gum health, um, yes, collagen is extremely important. Vitamin C, you know, we've all heard of scurvy. So vitamin C is very important for gum health. And coenzyme Q but trace minerals in general. And so, especially if we're filtering our water, which I hope most of us are, um, and if we certainly if you're using reverse osmosis, you really need to be adding minerals back. And so I like Quicksilver's Quintin um, minerals. You can do Redmond salt. There's electrolyte drinks like Element, LMNT that I really like as well. Um, but being aware of trace minerals too is critical. And, and of course, like our B vitamins. I mean, it's funny, what's good for the mouth is good for the rest of the body too, right? So, but, but fat soluble vitamins and magnesium and calcium, I mean, that's really important for, for teeth and jaw development as well. And so, you know, if you're familiar with the work of um, Dr. Weston Price, he was a dentist um, from the 30s and the 40s. He traveled the world and he analyzed and assessed ancestral tribes. And he noticed that they all had these beautiful teeth and these big, wide airways and jaws. And they, you know, they had no dentists around. And he studied their diets and he did see they were very high in fat-soluble vitamins and animal protein and trace minerals um, and we're just not eating that way anymore. You know, these, this ultra processed foods that we're inundated with, they're really deficient in, in nutrition. And so, um, I'm a big advocate for kind of getting back to the basics, um, and kind of following 
how we ate ancestrally and, and following that evolutionary trajectory too. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for all that really, really detailed information. The other thing I'm going to say, you, you mentioned one book, Sleep Wreck Kids. Anything else that you think is a good book to read? Yes. Um, so Weston Price's work is wonderful. Um, he has, um, it's physical degradation. I, I forget the name of it. It's wonderful. It's, it's his main book that he wrote. But, okay. but Dr. Stephen Lynn, um, he modernized Weston Price's work. And so I'll be honest, Western Price's book, it's a bit dense. Oh, it's not right. for everyone. So I'd suggest it's called The Dental Diet by Dr. Stephen Lynn, who is a functional dentist out of Australia. He's wonderful. Um, he's become a very good friend of mine and mentor. Um, his book is great. Mark Brehenna. It's B-U-R-H-E-N-N-E, is a very well-known functional dentist here in the U.S. Um, he has a platform called Ask the Dentist, and he has a book called The 8-Hour Sleep Paradox, so it's more about sleep and airway. Um, there's just not enough books. I'm mm -hmm. actually working on a book right now, so oh, stay okay. tuned. It will be geared toward um, functional pediatric dentistry. Um, mm -hmm sort of a handbook for parents and a little bit about the history of dentistry and where we're going and um, what have you. But those are some good ones, especially the dental diet. It's really great. Okay. Yeah. I'll put all of those in the show notes. And as I said in the beginning, I was excited about this and we, we probably, there's so many more topics we could go into. So I'm hoping to have you back for another um, episode of the Full Capacity Living podcast, just to dig into more things and maybe um, you know, uncover a few other things that would be helpful for people. So, but I appreciate you being here. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. I would love to be back on. Thank you so much. And we'll put some more info in the show notes. So tell me I wasn't wrong when I said this podcast is so much more than just dental health. Airway issues, why your child might be colicky, genetics, detox, nutrition, sleep, not rinsing toothpaste off. Who knew that? So as I said, the show notes will be full of links for everything we talked about, websites, products, books, how to find a dentist in your area. Thanks for listening. And please, if you feel the content was helpful and the podcast spoke to you, please write a review and then share the podcast with your friends or family on social media. I would be so grateful. It truly is a labor of love for me. So the more it gets out there, I feel the better the world will be. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned to next time when we have a podcast talking all about the vagus nerve. Till then, see you later.